From Islamic Finance News, the world's leading Islamic finance news provider, this is IFN Podcast. Thank you. Oh, it works. Good. So thank you very much. And uh, yeah, so I appreciate everybody coming back after lunch, which is always a nice thing. Um, and because we have very limited time, even though we have one less speaker, um, I wanted to start off with the first uh, question is, because we're talking about the UK, the, what can the UK do, the growth market. And, and although the UK has done a lot of first things, as we discussed earlier uh, amongst ourselves, um, there's also it could play a different role, right? Um, so the first uh, question I'm going to ask, I'm going to ask this to Omar and then you can all jump in. Um, what are the key products and features that would help strengthen the market that could either come out of the UK or be introduced into the UK? Excellent. Good afternoon. Um, that's a really interesting question because I think the UK is positioned um, with, the, with the core ingredients to, to be able to internationally be recognised as a, as a stronger force in the Islamic compliant market. I own a fintech, I've established a fintech, and, and unsurprisingly, I'm, I'm a big advocate for the um, benefits um, for various different sectors of, of, of what fintech can do. So both, um, if you go back traditionally and look at um, how fintech was perceived previously in the traditional industry, it was seen as, as a large threat. However, now things have transitioned on and fintechs are recognised, um, you know, we work with third parties, large third parties, product originators, exchanges, etc. And the benefits to, to that sort of industry and of, of being able to distribute globally the products and services that we do. So it's, as a fintech platform, we're able to connect as well to the end consumers, which I personally believe will drive this industry and be able to educate uh, and inclusive and lower the costs to, to good, good product. Um, and very, very importantly, you know, being able to connect the various different parties in the landscape. So as well as that, um, you know, I think the UK is, is, is very well positioned for product origination. Uh, we've seen, you know, um, big moves internationally, you know, which put London particularly in, on the international stage in the soot markets. We are incredibly um, uh, positive about the potential of green soot cooks. So the products and the origination, um, the mutual fund market, um, the potential in the soot market is huge. But... Really, I think the number one thing that sets the UK as a potential to be very important in this industry is really the regulatory environment, the confidence that London can bring to fintechs, to financial products, to consumers, is, is really, really paramount. However, there needs to be a lot more um, work that goes in and um, uh, recognition that it needs to be supported. Simon, any, any follow-up on that? Hello. Um, I think I, I would just echo a lot of what Omar is saying about the, the overall environment. I'm not an Islamic finance specialist. I, I represent the International Federation of the Red Cross, Red Crescent Societies. And, um, and 
we, uh, and looking at different ways to fund and finance our, our actions. And one of the things, and so looking at Islamic products um, and how they are able to uh, do that. And one of the reasons we're interested in the UK, or what we find in looking at the UK as a, as a market, is the supportive role and shape of the environment. One, it's got a track record, generally, as, you know, as a financial centre, but also the UK government is very supportive of new products and new tools, you know, um, for... Uh, impact investing is has been developed to here. It's one of the leading environments. As a non-Muslim country, it's very progressive and has, uh, I mean, has developed lots of products and tools. Um, uh, I think to enable that to happen. So, it's maybe not happening quickly enough, or to the extent that's done, which I guess is part of this panel debate. But I think it's important to recognise how advanced it is compared to maybe its peer countries across Europe, right? As a financial, and not just because of its track record as a financial centre, but um, taking steps specifically around its promoting Islamic finance. Uh, on on that, just just quickly going into that, all the, the the things that have changed. So in the UK, it was very early on changing the um, financial uh, financial markets law to uh, make a change so that you could issue sukuk um, and to do murabaha without any adverse tax impact. Now, that was worded so that it can be anything that is not similar to a conventional loan. Would you say that is preferential or would you say that might harm the progression of specifically Islamic finance because it is not specifically mentioned? Wow, okay, as the, as the non, thank you, that's a quite a technical question for, for the non-Islamic fund. No, um, the, and uh, wel welcome my panelists, I think it's a, I don't, I think the UK has been looking at lots of these tools and has lots of legal resource and capacity, right? I mean, most of the magic circle firms in the UK also have big Islamic, well, I don't know most, but Amr's not, you know, there is Islamic practices there, right? And quite skilled, and obviously that complements their offices in, in the Gulf and elsewhere, but I think they have a lot of expertise in this. And I, I mean, I think you're, I can't answer the specifics, I'll defer to somebody else on that, but I think it's a great example of how legislation has been enabled to, uh, to allow these products uh, to be created, right? Whether that's successful or, or there's implications that maybe others can comment on. I'm gonna leave that question for Omar. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I, th I, think, I think really the, um, the, the, the key message here is that the UK on a legal structure level demonstrates a, a very dynamic ability to assimilate and commercialize products as a, as a non-Islamic country, being able to move into these products, work with originators to create the right, land, right environment for correct, adequate, and appropriate regulation. And I always talk about appropriate regulation because, you know, being a fintech, there's always this, uh, uh, you know, understanding that we're always looking to, to, to remove regulation. And that far from it, from the good players, we, we tend to, we welcome appropriate regulation. And I think more so here than any other environment I've, I've seen and I've worked throughout the Middle East and, and, and globally, the UK is, is much more dynamic and, and possess in-house a, a much more of a, um, an interest to make products work. And, and I think that's the key message, I think, with the UK regulatory environment-wise. You see, I, I think personally it's, it's, it's a good thing to open it up to everybody rather than just specifically we allow this for Islamic finance only because I think that really shows much more diversity and inclusiveness 
as a desire than, than anything else. But anyway, um, so Selina, um, any ideas about key products and features that the UK might offer? Okay, thank you. Hi everyone, I'm from Climate Bonds Initiative. So thus you'll un understand my response. Um, based on my experience, the way the financial market has grown, it is very much driven by the commitment of asset owners. So it's a very top-down approach. I think in Islamic finance, we find that, from what I understand, it's very much driven by retail. So just like if there's any potential to grow, I think it's from an asset owner point of view. And I would like to, prop uh, to suggest that the alignment between Islamic finance and sustainability is something that we need to reinforce. I think the fundamentals of Islamic finance is do no significant harm, which is exactly this whole point of climate change and all the taxonomies that have been developed uh, internationally. So I think if we try to push the agenda of environment, climate change, asset owners are already committed to that uh, ambition and then align it naturally to Islamic finance principles in terms of products, in terms of Sharia compliant assessment, I think that is a good point, way to grow. I know we've been saying that for a long time, and for now it's still theoretical, but I think the market is ready to shift in that direction, given the climate change challenges we're facing now. So it's not something that we're going to face in 50 years' time. We're already facing it now, so it's, there's already a risk to your portfolio if you don't address it. So. My answer is alignment to, alignment to sustainability could be the way forward. I, I honestly, I, I really couldn't agree more with that sentiment. I mean, I think we can see globally the demand into green product. Uh, what's slightly ironic is that there seems to be this, this desire to solve a problem that actually the vast, uh, the vast particularly green soup cooks already solve. And it's a really ready to go solution um, that it just needs a little bit more recognition. And I think the, the green soot cooks particularly could have the potential to really open up the market. And that's what we need to see. You know, we, we, we're sort of looking within a bubble and we want to really sort of communicate the benefits of these products that transcend and actually solve pro problems that are out there that are looking to be solved. They actually are um, great products to have off the shelf. So I think it's a great opportunity, and I, I think it really needs to, as an industry, we need to promote, we need to seize on this, and, and promote particularly, you know, green soup cooks. Um, yeah. so, so that would probably solve one of Simon's problems, is where to get the money from, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'd echo that. I don't know if it'd solve all my problems, but um, the... But absolutely, I mean, building on this idea of green sukuk, and I'd in fact go much further, what we're interested in as an organization is looking at new financial tools to finance, you know, to finance and fund humanitarian, humanitarian challenges and development goals. Well, actually, the reason uh, Islamic finance is of interest to us, and we're still exploring that, I mean, and, and it's still a very small part of what we do, unfortunately, there's two principal reasons. One is it's the first ethical investing product that exists with a huge, long track record, right? So all of this rhetoric and narrative about ESG or social finance actually is predated by Islamic finance, which has this embedded as a fundamental principle, right? So I think there's a Picking up on this, it's not just green, but social justice. These things are all inherent in Islamic finance, which Western finance is now catching up to adopt and incorporate. 
And that, that's very, you know, I think that's, um, so it's, it's much more progressed on that issue because it's always done it. And I don't think that's often, as a non-Muslim, I don't think that's often recognized by the Islamic finance community where it is ahead of ethical investing and where it has led the way and demonstrated things like this, right? I mean, negative screening was invented by Islamic finance. Right, the West kind of then rebranded this and it came out 20 years later, go, oh, we do it that, right? Um, so I think uh, that's something. And the other thing that's very important for us is we're obviously, as the Red Cross Red Crescent, we're a neutral organization. And what we have realized is by not having Islamic or Sharia compliant products, we're excluding people from being able to support our work and being inclusive. And so we are starting right at the beginning of embracing that much more because, you know, large parts of the people most vulnerable and most affected are, are Muslim. And, and, they, and that kind of funding of work and that funding network, we need to offer those kinds of tools and products. And I think that's also something that Islamic finance does because it is ethically aligned. So as, as we're talking about, you know, the UK role in this, yes. uh, during this session, how do you feel that the UK can actually um, jump into this? Or <clears throat> at least the Islamic financial industry or the government from the UK side? Yeah, it's a good, a good question. And so again, let me answer with my kind of perspective, recognizing this is about the, the role of the UK. Thank you. Um, so, I mean, I'm looking at international challenges and, and so the deployment of capital into, into fragile or conflict-affected settings. And so the role that I see for the UK, and my, my, from my perspective, and not, you know, others can comment on more broadly, is how do we raise funding here and financing here and what are the tools? And this goes back to some of the conversation we're saying. We see the uh, UK government as very progressive on these issues about you know, supporting new initiatives. I mean, it, it's led the way in a number of Islamic products. Uh, others will know better than I about the specifics, but also on ethical investing and impact investing. It's a constant, you know, and has the infrastructure and the lawyers and, and regulatory environment or enables the regulatory environment to do that. And so for us as an organization, this is kind of, and then more specifically, um, we have, as a movement, the, the, we work very closely with the FCDO, which is the UK's Foreign Commonwealth and Development Office. Um, and they are interested in doing this because they see the power of the City of London as a financial centre and how that can further expand their um, public finances as part of this kind of uh, an agenda towards development goals. So, you know, often we find successful partners, partnerships with them because we're bringing in new products like Islamic finance or new partnerships in that way. Yeah, just so you can continue on from, uh, from this part. So, Selena, uh, you mentioned something about uh, retail, which is the, the, one of the main, uh, the main stays of, of Islamic finance, which I think is, I mean, it's, it's a bit of both, right? It's retail on the one hand and sukuk on the other hand. Um, what do you see next? What, what do you think you should, the focus should be? So this is based on past experience so, and pure academic research. So fundamentally, if you break down the demand spectrum, you have the asset owners, and then you have the retail segment. And within the retail segment, you have um, high net worth individuals. Now, if you were to sort of analyze it purely again from theoretical, and I'm sure most of you who have practiced it may have other views, logically, we've there have been several reports coming out of the Middle East and ASEAN who suggest that high net worth individuals are looking for ethical investments 
and are looking for sustainable investments. So you, one would suggest that that could be possibly be the angle of growth if we don't see the asset owners putting in the commitment that is required. Omar is going to come back to me. <laughs> so I, I've got a slightly different view because um, coming from an institutional asset management background, um, my view is that high net worths rarely lead where product is going to go. And there's, their needs are, are very much serviced. And, um, you know, most private banks, for example, are due to regulation and, and cost in the industry are looking for less clients, wealthier clients. Um, we are a retail product. I believe like, we can draw parallels to the um, sustainable market where the real driver for, in, for, for product um, and will be from the retail market as is sticky retail money, which rather than being allocated purely to generate the most gain, but is actually also an ethical decision tends to be much even more sticky. And this is where asset managers who are obviously looking to keep clients in a very, very uh, competitive marketplace, they will react to where they believe the AUM will be. And, you know, all intents and purposes, you can have the best product in the world, but if you're not building the AUM and your product is not um, generating returns, we won't have those products. Okay, so I want to take that back, that comment, right? I mean... And I've struggled with this as well, and I'd love to hear the audience's point of view. The reality is the point of the capital market is to make money, right? To make a return. But now, could you not argue with the introduction of Islamic finance, the want or the desire to invest ethically, or the desire to support future generations and invest sustainably? There's now been a shift from looking at financial returns, or is that a theoretical shift? Do you think market will change behavior sufficiently to enable Islamic finance to grow, to enable sustainable investment to grow? Personally, yes. Um, I think um, with the right products, marketed correctly, priced correctly, and this is what we're talking about, you need critical mass within products to make them competitive to alternatives out there. And with those uh, with that landscape, is, which is the work that we're doing, to create these high-quality products that are liquid, that are cost no more than traditional products, given that choice, consumers will now favour um, a more ethical product. And, and, and I think the real catalyst for the industry is when we transcend what would traditionally people think would be the customers for Islamic-compliant product. Okay, so well, somebody in the audience is saying no... This lady over there is saying no. no. <laughs> is there anyone with a microphone? Thank you, Andrew. Um, so my name is Sibylla Din. I run a growth advisory consultancy that works with private banks, development finance institutes, uh, high net worths, family offices, private equity funds, the list goes on and on. Uh, we've worked on both sides, on the institutional side, on creating product to scale, which is your point. However, what we're seeing right now, and I am in favor of the points Alina has been making, is a shift with institutions saying they want private capital. So the whole shift, if you look at the new CEO of, of World Bank IFC, his mandate is to increase private-public partnerships. 
That private capital is coming from high net worths and family offices. Mm -hmm. We have run round tables with the UN and family offices to help them understand how they can support these initiatives. They don't want funds. They don't want institutional products. They want to see how their money is directly making an impact. So I think that's just, that, that is a shift. I don't think we should ignore that. I'm not saying that we shouldn't go down the institutional scale route with the right product. Yes, there is a market with the right product. I think the institutional funding itself also needs to look at how it's funding. And I've got a big issue with how Islamic banks fund themselves. They're modeling them, them themselves on commercial banks. And shouldn't they be looking at impact banks for how to fund themselves? And, and an impact bank brings in, to your point, Zarina, it brings in high net worth, it brings in donor capital, it brings in uh, family office capital. That is part and parcel of how impact banks fund themselves. So I think the issue starts with how is the bank funding itself, where is it positioning itself? Then the products, yes, there's the institution, but I don't think we should rule out what the... the um, uh, private side. That's, that's, thank you. Some, some very interesting points are being made there. Um, and one of, from my personal experience, people don't like changing their banks. So why would you change to an Islamic bank if you're banking with Kuts or whoever? You look for your own bank to do this, not for a new one or a newcomer in the market. Uh, we have time for one more question and then final remarks from the uh, panel. Yes, please. Microphone's coming your way. Uh, Simon, I was uh, sorry I was late, but maybe I've talked or not talked about it. What happened to the One Wash Scoop program? Great. So thank you very much for that question. So there, there's a, I've done this uh, session before, attended here before, and this gentleman, nice to, nice to know that someone listens to what I talk about. Um, so the One Wash is a, is a, was an Islamic Sukuk that we've been developing with the Islamic Development Bank. Wash is water, uh, sanitation and hygiene, so water program. So very, again, uh, uh, and that's still in progress. So our partnership with the Islamic Development Bank continues. We've had a few ups and downs. I mean, there's been a big delay because of COVID, both on the operational side, but part of the financing side. And we've had to go back to the drawing board with the structure. So it is still ongoing. I'm not longer working on that project, but a colleague is. So if people are interested in impact financing, and again, you know, our values are just in finance and how you can address humanitarian development goals. Yeah, happy to talk about that. Well, it's, thank it's, you for the question. It's, it's that wasn't a plant. It's a hot topic. <laughs> Are you sure? Uh, anyway, uh, so we're, we're running towards the end of time. I think we're actually slightly over time, but just a quick, quick final comments from the panel. Um, okay, so, so from my perspective, looking um, at the UK's potential to, to, to build this industry, I think all the ingredients are, are there. There's, there's large players who originate in product. We have a regulator. We have... Um, quite a, a thriving fintech industry that needs support, it has to be said. Um, but I think, the, I think the future looks bright, 
And I think with the right support and the right infrastructure in place and the right players, etc., uh, I think the UK has a good future. Thank you for not mentioning standardisation. Uh, <laughs> some final comments? Yeah, I'd uh, echo that with Omar and, and, you know, and say it's a testament. As a, it's also a good reflection that it's a non-Muslim country. I mean, I don't know that it's the most advanced, but it's, it's doing well compared to others. And I think also just to echo the point from the lady was saying, I think there is a real appetite for... And, and we're you know, a beneficiary of that as an organisation. We're still beginning to look about it, but investors, whether they're in the UK or elsewhere, are looking to invest in ethically aligned ways or values aligned ways. And that's both at the retail and institutional. And I think, you know, Islamic finance has led the way in that and that should be celebrated. Zalina? I'm going to take up that standardization point. <laughs> so, I, no, given in Islamic finance, it's very difficult to standardize the principles. But in green, you can. So I would go back to my statement that it is through green and sustainable investments that you can grow the Islamic finance agenda. And in green, we have sustainable, uh, we have standardized principles most of the time. That's, that's true, actually. Uh, so I, I, I would agree with that. Well, thank you very much. Um, thank you very much for coming in, uh, even though it's just after lunch and it's a beautiful day out there. Um, I think there's a lot of food for thought here, uh, so uh, I hope everybody enjoyed uh, our viewpoints and hope to see you soon. Thank you for listening. For more discussions on the Islamic finance industry, log on to www.islamicfinancenews.com. You can also listen to IFN Podcast on your favorite platforms, including iTunes and Spotify.